I can invite you to remain standing. Our scripture reading comes this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. Uh, Before I begin, I forgot to mention a couple of things earlier. First of all, when I was listing schools that were started, I forgot Bovina. So there we go. All right. Um, So there's all of them. Um, Also, I wanted to let you all know, uh, for those uh, students who were unable to be at the backpack blessing last week, uh, if you'd like to get a backpack tag, I'll have those following the worship service. Uh, just catch me in the welcome area um, following the service. Or if you're coming to Sunday school, I'll just take them to Sunday school. Uh, the other part of my announcement is youth and children's Sunday school. We're meeting in the chapel today. And so we'll have activities and, and Sunday school in the chapel. And so that'll be during the normal Sunday school time. It'll just be in a different place for a couple of weeks. And then we'll start our fall Sunday school uh, following um, Labor Day. So after Labor Day weekend on September 10th. It's so good to be here with you all this morning as we're working through our sermon series, Your Move, Board Games, and the Bible. Uh, For the past three weeks, we've looked at three different popular and common games that many of us have likely played at some point in our lives. In week one, we looked at the game Operation, and we compared Operation to the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and his followers as he uses the parable or the example of how uh, they are more focused on the splinter in someone else's eye without focusing on the log that's stuck in their own lie. And we know that what Jesus was saying in that teaching, or what we have learned from that, is what he is trying to get for them to see, is that it is easier for us to pick on the flaws and and wrongs of others without focusing on ourselves. And so Jesus tells us, and he tells them in this teaching and through this teaching, That the only spiritual life that you're responsible for and that you really have to worry about is yourself. We can look out for others, but I can't access forgiveness for others. I can't redeem others. I can't do the work that Jesus has done for you in the eyes of God. You're the only one that can do that. You're the only one that can accept it for yourself. You're the only one that can uh, allow it to be who you are and, and how you live. And so that's what we learned that week. In the second week, we use the game of life to compare, uh, to look at the story of King Solomon. As Solomon asked God, when God offered him anything in the world, Solomon asked for wisdom. And in the game of life, we compared that wisdom and that decision of Solomon with the choices that we have in our own lives. 
as we look at the choices that we have to make, both in real life and in the game, and as we realize that the choice that we have is our choice of whether or not we follow Jesus, whether or not we serve God, and whether or not we participate in the life and in the community of faith. Last week we looked at the game chess. We saw how each piece has a different move, and we compared the game of chess to our own spiritual life and to our own work of God within the Christian community. And what I mean by that is that God has created each of us with gifts. And each of the gifts that God has given are to be used both for His glory and His edification in the church, but also to benefit other Christians. And that's the reason that God wants us to engage in our faith together. Much like in the game of life, some of the pieces have very specific things that they can do. And that's the way it is in the church as well, as we might try and do something, but we can also look at other people or think of the gifts that we have ourselves. And there are things that I know other people are going to do far better than I can do in the work of the church, and in the life of the church, and to benefit the kingdom of God. And that might be a gift that you have or that someone else has, but we all have to use our gifts for God's service and for His glory. So this morning I want to shift, and we're going to be looking at a game that we was talked a little bit about in our, our children's time, but it's Connect Four. And Connect Four, if you've played it, consists of this brightly colored uh, blue frame. Of course, I chose a picture that's yellow. Way to go. Okay. Uh, where players take turns placing their game pieces, their discs, their, their tokens uh, in the board with the object of the board being, or the game being, that you get four game pieces in a row either going up and down, left or right, or even diagonally. If you Google Connect Four, there's really not a lot of history about it. I mean, there's ancient games that have been played similar to Connect Four, but really it's, it's newer. But I found it interesting as I was just looking at the history that apparently there's some folks that have uh, come up with the correct strategy to play Connect Four. And apparently there's three or four different versions and if you start and you go exactly the way the version spells out, you're never going to lose. First of all, I have learned something from this. I'm always going to ask someone in the game of Connect Four, have you ever read one of these? And if they say yes, we're going to put it back in the box because I'm done. Right? Because I want to at least have a chance. Um, Connect Four is unique because you have to both be observant in what's being placed on, in, the, in the rack. You have to be observant of what your opponent is doing while at the same time in your own mind planning your next move. So for me... I can't, know the time, I can't count the times that I'm focused on my next move or what I'm going to do for the next two moves to where I totally miss where my opponent has lined it up to where all of a sudden we get to the point that they have three in a row and it doesn't matter which side they go to, they're going to beat me. We have to pay attention. In fact, Robert did that to me in Sunday school a while back. And so, uh, you know, but Connect Four is a great game for us to thinking about how connection is important. Just like getting four pieces in a row, getting connected in our lives and in our faith is important. I can't stress that during even the last two years or three years, as we've gone through COVID, as we've gone through the shutdown, as we've gone through all of these different things, I hope that what many of us have seen from that and what many of us have gleaned from that and learned from that is how important it is for us to be connected with other people. Because God hasn't made us to live our lives in isolation. It's very rare 
individuals who can live their life and practice their faith without human interaction, without being a part of the community of faith. I mean, there's, there's only so few hermits, and that's because it is rare, because God has created us to be in community with each other. And so this is for our faith, this is for our lives, this is for our families, this is for our friends, this is for within our church community. I want you to think, how important is it for you to be connected? What are the benefits that you receive? What are the things that you give into the lives of others so that they are blessed and they receive those gifts from you as well? Let's think about something as simple as a computer. If you have a computer issue and you call tech support, what's the first question they ask you? I mean, before, after, let's make sure this is still under warranty. What's the first question? Is your computer plugged in? Calvin, how many times do you go somewhere to fix something and it's not plugged in? Often? Okay. So if your computer's plugged in and it's powered and you're not seeing something on the monitor, what's the next thing they ask you? Well, is your monitor connected to your computer? Is it plugged in? More often than not, usually it's that's loose or it's not connected or something like that. As tech folks work through the checklist, they start with the obvious because through their experience and the volume of calls that they get, they, probably they have found that it's usually the obvious things that we overlook before we start focusing on the obscure. I have a personal story of this. Uh, when Mindy and I moved to Albuquerque to serve uh, at First Methodist uh, downtown, I swear to you all, the same week we arrived, the church got two of these huge screens, these fancy projectors, a new computer, and there were people the entire five years that, I, that we lived there that thought Mindy and I brought them with us. But anyway, so they arrived the same week. I think we unloaded the moving truck. In fact, they were all in my office when I got there, so I had to work around them for about two weeks. Uh, they've obviously been working on the fundraising for this projection. They had been in consult consultation with a company out of Oklahoma City that, that specializes in church projection. And uh, the video system had two motorized screens that went to the right and left of the chancel because the church down there is that real traditional layout where it's laid out you know, in, in a big, long rectangle. And then there's the, the nave on either side and then the chancel's in the front. So it's kind of in a shape of a cross. And so the plan was that the screens would go to the right and the left of the chancel, the projectors would be mounted like halfway down and they would shoot across the screen, across the, the sanctuary to hit the screens. But this, this thing came with everything, all the cables, all the computers, I mean the DVD players, everything you can imagine to run video projection in a church or wherever you needed to set this system up. So I remember in my first month being on the scaffolding in this church and, and you know we're hanging the projectors and getting everything done and as I think about it, I don't ever remember when they set the computer and everything else up. I don't remember when the cables all got ran. I think what happened is as those of us were working on the, project, on the screens and hanging the projectors, some other people were hooking the computers and stuff up. So as we began to use the system in church, it was great. Uh, we could project the words to the songs. We could project the scripture. We could do all those things that we do here. However, when it came time for me to preach, because I didn't preach every Sunday there, um, I had a video that I wanted to use, and would you know, I, it, we pulled it up in worship, and it didn't work. I'd run it on the computer up there. It had worked on the computer, and so I didn't turn the projectors on when I tested it, which was wrong of me, but um, anyway. Uh, 
And so it just didn't work. And uh, I don't remember what happened. And so we fiddled with it. And the next time I thought, all right, we're good. It worked. And sure enough, it didn't work. Or the sound didn't work. Or no, it was the sound that didn't work. And so, um, you know, every time we tried it, something different was wrong. Until finally, I just got irritated. And so I went and called the company. And this is not the schematic. I couldn't find it. At some point, I deleted it. But I went up into the balcony where this computer was, and I yanked out every cord that was connected to anything up there. And I just spent a morning replugging things in. And as I plugged them in, I checked it off. And as I plugged it in, I checked it off. And I don't remember exactly what I found, but what I did find, if I remember, was that one cable was plugged in the wrong place, and another cable wasn't plugged in at all where it needed to be. And so that was the issue, is our lack of just these basic things, these easy, these, um, you know, inconsequential cables prevented the, the system from working to its full capacity. It was almost too easy, but you get what I'm saying is the connections had to be made. And so our scripture this morning is similar to this. It's a look at how the followers of Jesus have to be connected and how we have to be connected with others to tell them about Jesus. In John's gospel, um, one of the first men to hear the invitation of Jesus was a man named Philip. Uh, Philip lived in Bethsaida, which you can see on the map is up in the northern region around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's a small village located on the shore. Uh, Philip, like many of other disciples that John tells us, was a fisherman. And Philip heard the call or the invitation by Jesus to follow him, and his first reaction is something that's unique. I think in this story, often we focus on uh, the person that, that Philip took the message to, Nathaniel, who you know, asked him, well, what good can come from Nazareth? What good can come from this person, Jesus, that you're telling about? But I think today what we need to focus on and what we need to look at is what was Philip's first reaction to discovering who, who Jesus was. Because Jesus has come to him and Jesus has called him and invited him to follow me. And we have to make note that this is before Jesus has begun teaching the disciples. It's before he's been baptized. It's before any of the miracles. In fact, shortly hereafter, John has them uh, going and Jesus transforms the water into wine. Uh, the miracle of Cana and Galilee is the next story. This is before Jesus has, has begun to gather a crowd that's following him. This is before Jesus has gone into Jerusalem and has sat in the temple and taught. This is before anything, and Philip has heard the call of Jesus. And the reaction that I think we read and I think we can receive from God, John's gospel is that Jesus' words lit a fire in him, that he had to share something, this word, with someone else. He had to connect the message that he had received, the invitation that he had just received, the discovery that he had just made with Jesus. And so John writes this, he says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Well, it's kind of funny. First, Philip makes it sound like we found Jesus, like he was looking for him, but Jesus came to him and said, Philip, you know, follow me. He invited him to be following him. He invited him to be a part of what he was going to do and to be a follower of him, one of the twelve. But Philip connected Jesus when he heard his voice and when he saw who he was to the one that Israel had been waiting for. 
And so he doesn't just go to Nathaniel and he doesn't just tell Nathaniel that, that they found someone that he needs to follow. But what does he do? He goes to Nathaniel and he says, the one that you and I have been looking for, that we've been talking about, that we have been anticipating, that we've been looking to, well, that's the one that's here. Because he's the one that Moses wrote about. He's the one that the prophets have spoken about. He's Jesus of Nazareth. He's son of Joseph. He would be the second Adam to redeem the sin of of those that, that, that followed the first Adam. That Jesus was the one. And so Philip wants Nathaniel to share in this excitement, to share in this discovery, to share in Jesus. He couldn't hold it in. And he had to tell someone. But first, what Philip had to do as well is he had to connect with Jesus. Just like we do. See, friends, we can't connect with Jesus Christ. Philip couldn't tell people about Jesus Christ until he had discovered Jesus for himself, right? He couldn't connect or tell people about Jesus if if he wasn't connected in a way to where he was able to look at who Jesus was and, and see who Jesus was and experience who Jesus was. You and I can't make testimony to what Jesus is doing in our lives and to the truth of who Jesus is if we haven't experienced the change of heart that only Jesus can bring about in each of us. Because we have to be connected with Jesus in order to connect others to Jesus. And being connected with Jesus is is something that he taught, he he believed, that that he instructed the disciples and his followers and everyone else in. Look at, um, for example, just uh, John 15. In John 15, Jesus is, is telling a series of parables to the disciples and to those that are following him and challenging him. And Jesus uses the, the parable or the metaphor of using a vine in a vineyard. Where he tells the disciples, where he tells those that are listening to him and following him, that they have to stay connected with him in order to bear fruit. They have to stay connected with him in order to be able to connect others with him. They have to remain on the vine if they want to bear fruit for the glory of God. And so in John 15, 5, he says, I am the true vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, and apart from me, you can do nothing. See, for us to connect others with, to Jesus, we have to make sure that we're connected to Jesus as well. And one of the ways we can do that is by staying connected with our community of faith and within the body of Christ. I'm going to say that I believe that the the outcome of our being connected is proportional to how much we invest into that. And what I mean by that is if you feel distance from the community of faith, if you don't feel connected, I think we all have to step back and evaluate what kind of input we're putting into that. It's kind of like a relationship. If things don't seem to be going great and, and I'm not putting into a relationship what I know I need to do, but I'm not getting anything out of it, then that's on me. And I think our faith's the same way. Is we can't be connected to the body of Christ if we aren't investing ourselves and making the commitment and making the investment that we know we need to do. Because it is proportional. If we're only surface level on our relationships, then I believe we're only going to receive surface level relationships in return. We can't claim that we're connected with others if we're not putting in the time, the effort, and the energy to connect with them. Nor can we expect them to know about our trials, our challenges, our health issues, whatever it is that we need prayer and support for. If we're not opening up and if we're not sharing ourselves with others. 
It just doesn't work, right? Like, I can't know what's going on in your life, and you can't know what's going on in my life if we're not invested in each other and invested in the community of faith. In Paul's letter to the Romans, in in Romans chapter 12, he writes to the church about this. In Romans 12, he says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. So he wants us to be devoted to one another. He wants us to be invested in one another. He sees that the benefit of being in community is, is positive. And Paul lets us see, and he recognizes that for us to experience this fully, that we have to be devoted to each other just in the same way we're devoted to Jesus, which means staying connected. We can't be devoted to one another if we create distance with each other. Another way we can uh, be invested in the community and and stay connected is is being involved in a group, right? In a couple of weeks, you know, I shared we're going to be resuming children's Sunday school to help our children stay connected with God and each other as they experience the love of God and and learn about Jesus. We're also going to offer confirmation to the youth to learn about church, about the history of the church, for them to explore their faith and for them to grow connected with one another. We're going to have adult Sunday school classes. We have, you know, faith... uh, Faith at work, Faith's Journey, um, that, that meets. And then we're going to have at least one, possibly two adult classes starting in a few weeks where we're going to be able to have opportunities for people to grow and connected in us with one another. I mean, I get it. We've got to be able to do that. We have to invest in each other. We have to invest in our faith. And we have to stay connected. Because it's only in connection, friends, that you're able to have people pray for you, to study with you, And to make this journey of life and of faith with you. Because friends, our faith is too important to be lived alone. Your faith is too important to be lived alone. It is designed, it is created to be lived and shared with other people. And Philip is a perfect example of someone who heard the call of Jesus and who devoted the remainder of his life to connecting people to him. The book of Acts, you can read. There's not much else in in the Gospels about Philip, but the book of Acts has a couple of stories of Philip connecting others with Jesus. One of them, an Ethiopian eunuch who is traveling on a chariot and reading the, is it the book of Isaiah? And he wishes that someone would explain the words to him. And so Philip hops in the chariot with him and explains it as they go. Uh, There's Philip also going to the region of Samaria where he takes the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that were uh, considered outcasts by those in, in Israel and of the Jewish faith. But in all of those places, and even in the in-betweens, Philip was ready to connect people with Jesus any time that God gave him the opportunity. And that's the heart that God wants us to have for others. The same heart of Philip to be willing to do the same and to connect others with Jesus Christ. But to do that, we have to strive. We have to invest. We have to make ourselves connected with Jesus in the same way that Philip was. And we can't bear fruit if we're not connected to the vine. You can't shine the light of Christ if you're not connected to Christ who's lighting you from within. We need Jesus. We need each other. And we need the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us together. Amen.